Well, good evening. It's good to, to see everyone here this evening. It's encouraging when you, uh, you're told you're going to speak and then actually people show up to hear you. That's a pretty good, good sign. Glad to have you here. We're going to spend most of our time this evening in John chapter 4. If those of you that went to um, the Brotherhood meeting, Marlon Cole was up there and speaking, and he had the <clears throat> scriptures on the PowerPoint. He didn't have the scriptures typed out, he just had the scriptures. He said, if you're going to listen to me, you're going to have to work for it. So that's what you're going to have to do tonight. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to read, get your old school, get your Bibles out, get your devices out, and uh, we'll see what we can do. So um, some questions for you tonight. Um, just answer these to yourself in your pew there, but do you ever feel like that no one really, really likes you? That you're outnumbered, that no one really cares what you say, what you do, what you think, that you really don't matter to anybody? Does it feel like that the whole world's out to get you? Sometimes it can be that way. Sometimes it can feel that way. There's a, there's a children's book titled Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And what this story is about, uh, of course I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to tell you kind of what was in it. It's about this little boy that he went to bed and he had gum in his mouth. And of course when he woke up the next morning the gum was all in his hair. And then he got up and he tripped over his skateboard that he left out in the middle of the floor. And he, he, was, uh, he already had started putting on part of his clothes. And so he tripped on that and, uh, towards the bathroom and fell into the sink and got his sweater all wet. Then he went downstairs to eat breakfast and his siblings were... All happy they had reached into the cereal box and got some kind of little trinket or toy out of there. And he went to reach in there for his, but there were none left. They went to buy some shoes for school. All his brothers and sisters got the shoes they wanted, but the ones that he picked out, the store was out of. They didn't have them. Later on in the day, he stumped his toe. And then to really bring all things to a head. For supper, they had lima beans, and he didn't like lima beans. So to him, it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. We've all had those days, haven't we? It seems like some things happen, um, and you know, you're afraid to ask what's going to happen next, because you might find out. But just a little example of about Robin and I the last few weeks. We've had several things in our household break, she came home from work one day and she said, the air conditioner on my car is making this really bad noise. And being the mechanic that I am, I went out and looked in there and I said, well, I think it's the belt. But, you know, I needed Ricky to come fix it. But I didn't want to call Ricky, so I took it in and it was the belt. And they got that fixed and that was good. 
Then a day or two later, I was just leaving for work. I mean, my front foot was out the door. And Robin said, well, uh, the carpet's wet here in front of the closet. That's where the hot water heater is. So I opened up the door, and there's water everywhere. You know, it, the, the pan's full. It's running over. So I had to get a hot water heater. Then I came home that afternoon, and the air conditioning in the house wasn't working. And we'd already had that worked on twice. And then I called him back, and he worked on it again. Got home. It was working perfectly. And then the next day, it wasn't working again. And I called him back again. And so it's working now. Just don't know how long. Anyway, these things happen, don't they? These things happen. We have some very good, no very bad days sometimes. When things happen, what does the general public's view about those things? If you were to tell them about your problems, what would they say? They would probably just say, just get over it. Just get over it. Don't worry about it. Just go on. It doesn't really make any difference. And in the big scheme of life, it really doesn't make a lot of difference. But at the present time, it just seems to. We're going to read chapter 4 of John. And I know that's rather lengthy, but the first 42 verses that is. But we're going to read that. And then we're going to go back and we're going to find out how, how we uh, look at this uh, title, Everybody is Somebody. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but, he, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. When then do, do you get that living water? Or where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that, Ma that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. And at this point, His disciples came, and they marveled that He talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift your eyes, lift up your eyes, and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice altogether. For in the... For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Okay, so I just kind of wanted to read that to just get us refreshed on what, what we're talking about tonight. We're going to kind of go back through it. So, first of all, Jesus, uh, he had been in Judea. And he's going to Samaria. Now, the way I understand it, it would be quicker to go through Samaria. But most of the Jews didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? Because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans. They'd rather go the long way around than deal with the Samaritans. So, in, starting in verse 4, we're going to see what some would be considered a strange discussion. In verse 4... But he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? As I mentioned, they don't get along. There was a special woman there he needed to see. And there were other people that he needed to see as well. The Samaritans, just to give you a quick rundown, it's very brief. Not near what we probably all should study to find, figure out exactly what was going on here with the Jews and Samaritans. But basically, real quickly, they didn't get along because, for one, they didn't worship the same. For two, 
they, there was intermarriage there between races, and the Jews thought that was just completely terrible, awful. Uh, you should only marry someone of your own race, of your own religious background. And so the Jews despise the Samaritans. And yet, he's going there. He says he needs to go through there. There's a reason why he needs to go. Okay, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob wells there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Well, you know, we all know that Jesus didn't have vehicles like we have. You know, he, he either rode a donkey, he rode a camel, some sort of animal. Uh, but probably, mainly, he walked. And I don't know the mileage between those two places, but he was tired. He sat down. He was thirsty. We have to remember that Jesus was the Son of God, but he was human, correct? He got thirsty just like you and I. He got hungry just like you and I do. So he sat down there at this well. It was about the sixth hour, which... I understand that's probably, in our terms, it'd be about noon. About noon that day. The heat of the day. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus said, Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. This was an unusual conversation because, as I mentioned, Jews and Samaritans don't talk to one another. It was about noon. Most of the time, the women would come to draw water in the morning or they'd come in the evening because it was a cooler time of the day. Noon was in the heat of the day. And when they came, they usually came, several of them came together. But this woman came at noon and she was by herself. Why do you suppose that that was the reason, or why, why did that happen the way it did? Well, first of all, this woman didn't have a very good um, character, I guess you might say. She wasn't well thought of. Um, she probably came that time of the day because she knew that she wouldn't have any to deal with anybody. That she wouldn't have to hear people talking about her. She wouldn't have to... Uh, talk to anybody herself. She wouldn't have to answer any questions. You might say that she was probably a social outcast. And so she came to draw water by herself. And Jesus said, give me a drink. Now, there's several things here that, that make this strange. So, okay, so Jesus is a Jew. That's one thing. And he's talking to a Samaritan. Number two... He's talking to a woman, and men just didn't talk to women in public. That wasn't something that was really accepted. So there's two things that are strange about that conversation. And number three, as I said, she had questionable character. Her life wasn't, quote, as we would want it to be, uh, and people didn't really accept her. So there's, there's several things there that we uh, have to consider. Question for you and I. If we see somebody in plain view or surrounding areas, 
And they're, well, they're known for not having a good character. They're known for doing things that are not, quote, Christian. Do we talk to them, or are we afraid that somebody might see us, and somebody might say something? Somebody might question us. I don't want to just be seen with them because I'm not that type of person. Well, that's a question for you and I to ask one another. But Jesus talked to this woman because, as the title of the lesson says, with Jesus, everybody's somebody. Everybody is somebody. Prior to this, back in chapter 3, Jesus had talked to a man named Nicodemus. In verses 1 through 5 in that chapter, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, this is a contrast. Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. But prior to this, and she was a woman, of course, prior to this, he'd been talking to a man. So that's a contrast. Number two, um, she, was, uh, he, she didn't have good character, but he did. She was a, quote, in the world's, world, uh, world's view, maybe a nobody, if you would. And yet Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Two different type of people, totally, besides gender, there was just a total difference between these two people. So why would, Nicodemus, why would both Nicodemus and, some, and the Samaritan woman be talked to by Jesus? Why would he treat them the same? Why, he treated them the same. He talked to them just the same. Why would he do that? Because the answer is very obvious. Because what? Because they both needed salvation. They both needed salvation. Because you see, with Jesus, everybody's somebody. It doesn't matter if you're male, female. It doesn't matter if you've had a religious past, had a religion in the past or not. It doesn't matter if you have a high social standing or you don't have a high social standing. Everybody's somebody to Jesus. Do we treat all people the same? An answer for you to answer yourself. I'm going to answer out loud for me. This morning, Hugh gave a lesson on truth. So what's the truth, Carrie? Do you treat everybody the same? Do you treat everybody like they're somebody? And you know what my answer is? Is no. Is no. I'm sorry to say that, but the answer is no. I don't treat everybody the same. An example. There's a gentleman, and you all know who he is. In fact, he has been to this church building before. You see him out at Walmart a lot. 
He's in a wheelchair. He didn't used to be, but now he is. And sometimes he's on crutches. But you know who this man is. I know you all know who I'm talking about. I saw him just the other day, probably two or three days ago. I'm walking into Walmart, and I'm walking this way, and his wheelchair is going this way. And I walked, just walked on through, and he just went on through, and there was no conversation. There was no eye contact. None of the above. Why do you suppose that's the case? Because I didn't treat him like everybody everybody else I didn't because maybe maybe he didn't smell so good maybe he didn't look so good maybe he wasn't on my little scale of who I should talk to shame to say that but you know what I didn't speak to him and I should have said something to him maybe you've done that we're all human we make mistakes yes but we've got to treat everybody the same. We've got to treat everybody like they're somebody. But not just because I say that, because the Bible says that. In James chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this scripture says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man, in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? And then skipping down to verses 8 and 9 of that chapter, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's kind of that's strong language there, don't you think, at the end? If you... Show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I don't feel like I'm a lawbreaker. <laughs> but maybe I am. Maybe you are. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and we have to decide who's important. You've all heard this saying, God does not make junk. And that's true. In Genesis chapter 1 and 26, in the very first part of that verse, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. In Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before, beforehand that we should walk in them. We're made in his image, we're his workmanship. And, and it, that means everybody, every human being that has ever been created... That falls into that category. Which means everybody is somebody. Jesus died just for you. Just think about that. He died just for you. He died just for me. He died for every human being that's ever been on the face of this earth. 
If you'd been the only person on the earth when, when he died, if you'd been the only person, he'd died for you. We don't always think about that. But think about this. Jesus died for Hitler. Jesus died for Osama bin Laden. Jesus died for those guys that flew into those twin tires and killed all those people. Jesus died for the President of the United States. Jesus died for your boss. Jesus died for your neighbor. He died for everybody. Which means everybody is somebody. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Moving on down to verse 10 of John chapter 4. He just asked for this drink of water, and then he had kind of a startling statement for this woman. In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, of course, he's speaking on spiritual terms here, living water. But she's going to be thinking on the physical terms. Because in verse 11... The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. Where then do you get that living water? Good question for her to ask on the physical terms. He had nothing to draw water with. It wasn't like a stream was running through here, and he could just cup his hands down here in the water and take a drink. This was a deep well. He had to have a bucket or a pouch or something to lower down in there to get physical drinking water. So she should understand what he's talking about. Jesus answered and said to her in verse 13. Well, let's read verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his son and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. She said, man, I want to drink. I want some of that water. I want some of that water because then I won't have to come in here at noon and avoid all the people that don't like me. I won't physically have to come and carry this heavy water and the best thing of all, I won't have to get thirsty again. I can just drink one time and it's over, all over with. Sounded pretty good to her. But again, she's on the physical side of things, not the spiritual side of things. After this, Jesus is going to start working on her heart a little bit. In verse 16, he said, said to her, just out of the clear blue, he said, Go call your husband to come here. And that kind of probably startled her that, you know, her, they're talking about water. And all of a sudden, he says, get your husband to come here. Which would have been a good thing for him to do because he wasn't supposed to be talking to a woman out in public. But if her husband came, she thought, well, that'd probably be good, you know, that, that a man could be talking to the man. But then he gave her a really 
um, surprising answer. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the, and the one that you, whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you, you spoke truly. You know, she must have been in quite a shock when he told her all that. Because this is the first time they'd ever met. And he never had talked to anybody else about this woman that she knew of. And yet, he knew this all about her. He knew her. He was a physical man, but he was a son of God. He knew her completely. And Jesus knows you. And he knows me. Luke 12, 7, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. The very hairs of your head. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we plan on doing. Uh, we can't fool God. He knows us. And the interesting thing at the last part of that verse, you're more valuable, valuable than sparrows. You ever notice how often that Jesus talked about sparrows? I, he liked birds, I guess. He liked birds. And birds are beautiful. But think about that. All these animals, all these insects, all these things besides us as human beings that God takes care of daily, they're taken care of. They survive. How is that? Because He's the Creator. So if He takes care of all those things, we're made in His image. We need to think about how valuable we are to Him. Did you know we're so valuable to Him that He can use you right where you are? No matter where you are in life, you may be sitting there and thinking, yeah, I've had those bad days you're talking about at the beginning, but I, I, but, but I also have had just a bad life. My life has been terrible. Nothing's ever gone right. And you can go through all the things that have happened to you. And those are not fun things. And I don't wish anything bad on anybody. But God can still use you where you are. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you become a child of God, all these things in the past can be the past. And you can move forward. Why are we offered that? Because everybody's somebody. To Jesus, everybody's somebody. Well, after he had given her this shocking news, which she wasn't expecting, she came up with the bright idea, and in verse uh, 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I believe you are a prophet. Rightly so. I mean, he knew everything about her, right? I believe that you are a prophet. And then, I know that she probably kind of wanted to change the subject at this point. She felt uncomfortable about this husband thing. So him knowing this, then he should know other things, correct? He should know other things. So she asked him the question and changed the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. So basically, she's given him these two options, and she wants to know which one's the right one. Where are we to worship at? Because... The Samaritans say this, you Jews say that. Where, where and what is the right, right place? 
So he answers her in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus loved this woman, even though he just met her. He loved this woman. That's why he stopped to talk to her. But he didn't hesitate to tell her that she was wrong. He didn't hesitate to tell her that she was morally and doctrinally wrong. That's not easy to do, is it? Is it easy for us to tell someone, hey, you're wrong about this way you believe, this, this belief you have about God and about being saved and how you go to heaven. You're wrong about how you're living your life. That's not an easy thing to talk to. It's easy to talk to somebody about a football game, but it's not easy to talk to somebody about something like that, is it? Why don't we do that? Well, they'll think, they'll think I'm better than them. Um, I don't want to mess up our friendship. You know, there's excuses or a dime a dozen we could come up with for why we don't do that. But he loved her, and she could tell it. If we love somebody and care about them, yeah, they may get their feathers ruffled with an answer that they don't like, but they'll realize you love them, that you're not out to get them, that you're not out just to tell them they're wrong. There's a reason that you're telling them that, because you care about them. You want them to be in heaven one day. If you love someone, then you're going to correct them. So he gave her that answer, and then he went further. In verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So the where we worship is really not that important. But the who and how, that's what's important. This is a nice building, a great building, good place to be. In the summertime, you're cool. In the wintertime, you're, you're uh, warm. You're out of the elements. Nice pews to sit on. Just a nice place to be. But we could be out here under the tree worshiping. We could be under a tent worshiping. We could be on the street worshiping. We could be in someone's house worshiping. Nothing sacred about the building. A nice place to have and fortunate to have it. But where we, in, where we worship is not important, but who and how is what's important. Well, in verse 25, she's, the woman said to him, I know that, that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. She's probably getting a little nervous about this guy. He knew all this stuff about her. He gives all the answers that she asked. He doesn't hesitate to tell her things. So at this point, maybe she's wanting to say, well, maybe I just need to move on. There's a, there's a guy coming and call the Messiah, and he knows everything. He'll, he'll tell me. He'll tell me what I need to know. And of course, Jesus said uh, in verse 26, I am he. I am he that you're speaking about. 
Now, there's a, little prog- there's a progression of faith from the first time she saw him up until this point. In verse 9, she called him a Jew. In verse 11, she called Jesus, Sir. In verse 19, she called him a prophet. And now, she's kind of thinking, he knows all these things, but yet there's this Messiah coming. He's almost like the Messiah. I'm just going to wait till he comes. And he says, I'm the one. I'm the one. Well, at this point, <laughs> she, uh, she was on the move. In verse 28, the woman let, then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I don't know how valuable water pots were. I didn't look that up. I expect they were pretty valuable. I expect that you wouldn't just leave your water pot sitting there. But she wasn't worried about that anymore. She wasn't worried about drinking anymore. This man had told her all about her, and she could tell that he cared about her. And she wanted to go tell everybody about it. And said, come and see this man who's told me everything that I ever did. So she's out doing that right now. And these disciples who had gone to get food have come back now. In verse 31, In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. That's a normal thing to do, isn't it? I mean, they knew Jesus had been walking all this way just as they had, traveling all this way. He needed something to eat. You know, when, when we know somebody's sick or... We say, you need to eat something. You're not going to get well. You're not going to get better if you don't eat something. We're always concerned about eating, aren't we? Because that's what keeps, that's our fuel. That's what keeps us going. And they were no different. They were, they were thinking on the physical side as well. Just as the woman was, so were the disciples. And Jesus said, uh, I have food to eat of which you don't know. And still, they're thinking on the physical side. And they said, well, did someone already bring him something to eat? They're still thinking physically. And he says in 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So this woman went to tell all the people about what he had done. Jesus knew that. She had done that. He came to see this woman when he went to Samaria, but he also came to see a lot of other people. And she was telling them all about him. And he's telling them, look, the harvest is out there. It's time for us to to gather the harvest. Reading on in 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. He's saying, I've got spiritual meat. These people are needing salvation. The harvest is out there. You didn't even sow the seed, but yet... You're here to gather the harvest. 
And we always talk about sowing the seed. You know, there's an old hymn that we sing, Are You Sowing the Seed of the Kingdom? And we need to be sowing seed. But sometimes someone's already sowed the seed, but we need to come in there and help water it, help nurture it, help gather it. Maybe someone else had to go somewhere else or they passed away or whatever the case may be. It's up to us to go ahead and gather that harvest. Why is that? Because everybody's somebody. That's why. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. So many believed. But you know, Jesus was a busy man. And you know, he had places to go and people to see besides this place. But they said, please stay, please stay. And he did. He stayed two more days. Why would he stay in Samaria, when Jews don't associate with Samaritans, why would he stay there? Because everybody's somebody to Jesus. That's why he stayed. Verse 41, or 42. Then they, then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What a great story. What a great story when it started out with just this one woman. And then many believe. We don't know how many. It, didn't say, it doesn't say. But many means a lot. This is Christ, I said. This is the Savior of the world. I want to tell you something that maybe you know or maybe you don't know. But I want to reinforce it to you tonight. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. Jesus is going to take time for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus will never forsake you. Why? Why all these things that are so wonderful? Because with Jesus, everybody's somebody. And you're somebody. Don't sit out there and think that you're not. Jesus died for you. Why would he, he, why would he do that if you weren't somebody? He loves you. In our meeting this summer, I don't know if it was Jim or Chase who said this, but the question was asked, are you all in? Are you all in? Am I all in? That's a question you have to ask yourself. We need to be, don't we? We need to be. And we will be, and we can be, if we treat everybody like they need to be. But just because somebody's not of my, you know, quote, oh, I can't think of the word, but my vision of what somebody should be, doesn't mean that I shouldn't care for them and, and take care of them. To Jesus, you're special. So as you go out this week, try to remember that. 
Just saying hi to somebody can make a difference. You never know where the conversation might go. Jesus started out with, can you give me a drink? And then where did it lead? <laughs> Led to good things. I appreciate your attention tonight. I really do. Everybody's somebody. Jesus died for you. He died for me. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants me to go to heaven. He's asked us to do... He's given us a plan of salvation. He's told us how to do it. We do it. It's a guarantee we'll be there. If you haven't put on Christ in baptism and you've studied and understand that, then tonight would be a good night to do that. No better night. We slip and fall. We make mistakes. Sometimes we feel like we're just not worth, worth a thing. But we are worth a lot. And you have brothers and sisters here that would say the same thing. If you're feeling that you need prayers of the church, this would be a good night for that as well. Whichever the case may be, we offer the invitation as we stand and sing at this time.